Welcome to the Citizens Deep Dive, a podcast for our church family in Charlotte, North Carolina, where we take a closer look at a variety of topics. I'm Stephen, here with Tim, and this week we're talking about spiritual formation. Let's go. Hello, Tim. Welcome back. So fun. It's Citizens Deep Dive. We love the name and we're committed to it. Committed to it. We've done two episodes now. It's it's stuck. That's exactly right. So we, this past Sunday, heard a lovely sermon from Luke 6 on spiritual formation. Could you just hit high level? What were the the big takeaways from that sermon? Yeah. So Jesus, Luke 6, 46 and 47, says to the Pharisees, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Then he continues, everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I'll show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house on a rock, right? So he says, verse 47, everyone who comes to me, coming to Jesus, hears my words and then actually does them. And so we talked about this idea as we're kind of getting into our series on mission, evangelism, sharing the gospel, that we are called by Jesus himself, expected by Jesus himself to not just be those who hear the word of God, but actually do and does what he tells us to do, actually live it out in that reality. And so we talked a lot about, okay, what, what does that actually mean? What can we pull from that as far as how we are actually changed? How, how do we actually grow? How are we actually, you know, to use the language of spiritual formation, how are we actually formed more into the image of Jesus? That's our goal. We want to be more like him in two decades than we are today. How do we actually do that? What we're trying to argue from the text is that the way to do that is to not just hear the word, but actually do the word to receive teaching, practice the teaching, and do it all in the context of community empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so that's kind of what we were, were thinking about, talking about how do we actually change, right? That was the whole question. How do we actually change to be more like Jesus? Yeah. And when we're talking about how we are changing, whether it's to be more like Jesus or to be more unlike Jesus, that's where we get the ideas of unintentional and then intentional spiritual formation. So Let's start with the idea of unintentional spiritual formation. So what is unintentional spiritual formation? Yeah. So part of what we wanted to make clear is that spiritual formation isn't a Christian thing. It's a human thing. All of us are experiencing formation. All of us are being changed into something or someone. All of us are being formed. All of us are being shaped. Robert Mulholland in his book on spiritual formation says everyone is in a process of spiritual formation. We are being shaped into either the wholeness of the image of Christ or a horribly destructive caricature of that image. Hmm. And I think the example that's classic here, maybe not classic, but it's become classic to me because I've used it a lot recently, is think about all of the people you know over the age of 85. Like anyone you know who is still living over the age of 85, no offense to anyone listening to this over the age of 85, but they tend to be, there's a few, you know, a few exceptions to the rule, but they tend to be either the worst people, you know, or the most wonderful people, you know, like, I don't know any 85 year olds who are just sort of in the language of the youth mid, right? Like they're either loving and godly and full of joy and peace. And you're just like delighted to be around them or they're just curmudgeonly and awful. One or the other. No offense, but it's just, it's just true mm-hmm. because all of us are being formed in some direction. And that's what it means to to live into unintentional spiritual formation. This is you wake up on Monday and you decide nothing with intentionality to your life. This is just the shaping and forming that's going to take place to you. We said that happens largely in three realities. The first is the stories we believe. 
We as humans are story-formed creatures. Uh, Bobette Buster, who's a screenwriter, once said that we are narrative animals, meaning we live out whatever story we believe. Or in the words of Pete Hughes, he's a pastor in London, says the story you live in is the story you live out. And so whatever story we believe is true about our lives in the world is what we eventually begin to live into. The second thing besides stories is our habits. James K. Smith says, the things you do, do things to you. We are, in the words of, of Charles Duhigg, a little more than the cumulative effect of our habits. We are what we do every day. What, what we do today is who we are. And we're shaped by those things. Those things have power, not just online shopping, but the very act of getting on a computer to then go onto an online shopping website. That affects us in some way, shape, or form. Hmm. And then the third thing that that shapes us unintentionally is the relationships we have. We become mm. like the people we spend time with, our coworkers, our neighbors, our family members, our friends. We don't choose a lot of those. Like you don't probably choose the cubicle you're in or who gets the cubicle next to you. Uh, you don't choose who you interact with that often. You, you pick your friends a little bit, but you're born into the family you're born into. You have the coworkers you have, but those relationships shape us. We begin to think like them, talk like them, act like them, dress like them. We begin to embody the people that we are in close relationship with. We begin to embody their way of life. And then all of that, right? The stories we believe, the habits we live out, the relationships we are in, all of that ha- takes place in an environment. What I mean by environment is the place we call home. So that's a location, Charlotte, North Carolina. That's also a time, 2024. That's also a moment in time. We live in the digital age, the secular age, the Western age, right? The Western culture. And so all of that comes into confluence. So if I wake up tomorrow and I choose nothing intentionally for my life, I'm going to be shaped by those things, Mm. by the environment I live in, pervading and affecting the stories I believe the habits I embody and the relationships I dwell in to shape me into a particular type of person. Hmm. Yeah. It's almost like if we label a behavior, it suddenly is a discipline we're actively doing and not realizing that there are so many unlabeled disciplines that we are actively doing or passively doing. But yeah, it's like to not do something is a choice to do something else, Mm -hmm. even if it doesn't necessarily feel that way. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, the habits that we live out, I read some stat a few years ago that was like, 80% 80% of our day is unconscious. Like mm-hmm. we just, we get in the car. You ever had that moment where you get in the car and you blink and you're like, I'm at work. Yeah. And you didn't think about a yeah. single turn you made because it's just there. It's just mm-hmm. in you. That's true for so much of life. Mm-hmm. And then you think about, you know, the rampant amounts of screen time and the rampant amounts of um, just typical things in our culture today that shape us way more than we know. Right. I was reading um, one article recently about the effect of the fast food movement. Hmm. Um, not fast food, even meaning like McDonald's or Wendy's or whatever. I mean, fast food, just like how fast we can get food. Right. So even the very act of going to a grocery store shapes us in a way that farming for our own food would have shaped us differently. Yeah. Now, again, you can argue for what's good, what's bad, what's helpful, what's not helpful. I personally love being able to go to Aldi and get my groceries. Mm-hmm. I don't want to grow everything I eat. Right. Um, but... That shapes us. Like the very act of I can get in my car, five minutes later, be at Aldi, you know, 30 minutes later, be leaving, five minutes later, be home and then cook whatever I just bought, right. not know the farmer that grew the, the food, not know, like that shapes us. And that's just me going about my day. Right. And so that's unintentional spiritual formation. Those things, small, big, conscious, unconscious are shaping us into being particular types of people. And unfortunately, because we live in a broken, fallen world, And we are ourselves in the flesh are broken and marred. And we have a very real enemy after the people of God, right? The three enemies of the soul, the world, Mm. the flesh, the devil, Ephesians chapter two, that those things are not neutral. And often 
that means we're not going to wake up tomorrow just looking more like Jesus because right. the environment we have it doesn't want us to look more like Jesus. Mm-hmm. The habits we have in our flesh don't always lead us to become more like Jesus. Um, and so then that leads us to this line I've been finding myself thinking about a lot lately, which is the reality is there are no accidental saints. Yeah. We are all being unintentionally spiritually formed. And because of the world we live in, marked by the flesh, marked by the devil, that will not be into Christ-likeness. We will not wake up 30 years from now going, ha, would you look at that? I'm living the Sermon on the Mount more than I was yesterday. <laughs> like, would you just, would you believe it? I'm more humble and loving and patient. Like, that, no one will do that. There are no accidental saints. It's yeah. going to take something else. Yeah. I think an important thing to remember also, and this can be scary, and it's very convicting for myself in thinking of my own witness, not just in the world, but even within the church, is that that same unhelpful environment can happen within the church as well as outside of the church. Like it can be as unhelpful, if not in some ways more unhelpful to be out in the world with people that do not follow Jesus and don't know anything about his gospel and don't do the things than to be surrounded by people that know a lot about Jesus and can quote a lot of Jesus lines and still do nothing about what he has said. And to be sitting in a room with people that everyone seems to know the right thing to do and yet doesn't do the right thing ever. And there, yeah, there's sanctification, there's sinning, there's there's growth and all of that. But I, I have thought a lot and, and thinking, talking about looking at this triangle and thinking through unintentional spiritual formation is it's just a bunch of people just sitting in a room saying formation buzzwords does not form them into into saints. Like just because we know what a, a daily examine is, or we can say the words Lectio Divina, that doesn't mean that we are, are uh, practitioners of those things or even well-versed in people who delight in doing those things, you know? Um, I think that's really that's really interesting. Something that I've been uh, thinking about a lot is just how that same environment of unhealth and unintentional spiritual formation can happen um, inside the church just as much as outside. Yeah, I mean, folks on our staff and our ministry team know this about me. I'm obsessed with self awareness. Like I, <laughs> I got them. I have our staff all the time. It's like a biweekly basis where I'm finding a new test, right? Myers-Briggs mm-hmm. or Enneagram mm-hmm. or um, I've been on this primal questions kick lately, which our team knows. <laughs> um, and I love that stuff. And I think it's so helpful, but I'm often reminded for my own self that self-awareness is not the same thing as change. Yes. And I think that's really important to remember is that unintentional spiritual formation is happening to us and learning that it's happening to us is not enough to actually then begin to counteract it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, it is a thing that, again, is tempting to use a phrase that we used last time of just that notebook mentality of just, okay, I've taken all the notes. I know all the things to do. And now I and now I know the things to do. Mm-hmm. And that's where it ends. Um, okay, so let's say that we're not on that side. Let's say that we have heard what we need to do. We want to do the right thing. And we need to develop a, an actually helpful strategy. There, there are good strategies. Then there are losing strategies. So what are what are some losing strategies as we try to move away from... Um, unintentional to the intentional. Yeah, well, I think when it comes to losing strategies, there's a, there's a few of them, and I think it's important to put a caveat here that all of these are losing strategies if they're by themselves. So mm. all three have aspects of very good things. It's right. just when we rely on them solely. Sure. So the first is what I would call willpower. Mm. Losing strategy number one is is willpower. That's just sheer force and sweat and determination. No pain, no gain. I'm just going to grit my teeth and become more like Jesus and fight against these deforming realities of the world. But unfortunately, those things are so shaping in our lives that willpower as a depleting resource is most likely gone by noon or by Monday. 
right? Mm-hmm. This is why 80% of New Year's resolutions fail by January 31st because it's a lot of good desire and let's gut it out, but gut it out only lasts so long, right? Like yeah. uh, my caffeine wears off and I'm tired and mm-hmm. I no longer have the willpower. And so what happens is we get caught in sort of this um, willpower cycle where we get inspired, right? There's inspiration. Mm-hmm. Let's go for it. Let's do it. And then we gut it out. We try harder. We reach some form of difficulty, right? So oftentimes you'll you hear about folks who, you know, January 1st, let's set on this new diet plan. They're inspired. They're excited. They're gritting it out for the first week and then they get sick. That's the mm-hmm. difficulty, right? They get sick for a week. It derails all of their plans. And then they lead into the cycle of guilt. Now I just feel bad. Like I had this desire. I had this plan. I thought I was going to do it. Now I just feel bad that I didn't do it. And then they get into the season of disillusionment. Well, maybe I'm never, I'm not going to be this type of person ever. Maybe I'm never going to be able to do it. They start having all those self-doubt thoughts and then they are banking on more inspiration later to mm. kind of get them back into the cycle. And that just doesn't work. Like willpower is a good thing. We need willpower, but we also know that we cannot force our way into change just by sheer effort and desire alone. Yeah. Second losing strategy would be, uh, and this one might step on some toes, but it's the strategy I would call more Bible study. <laughs> now I'm pro teaching. I'm pro studying of the scriptures. It's like 80% of my job. It is what I do with the vast majority of my time and with my day. I love studying the Bible, teaching the Bible. Certainly I agree. There is a biblical illiteracy and illiteracy issue today. We need to know the Bible more than we do as Christians. I would agree wholeheartedly with that. I believe second mm-hmm. Timothy three, right? That all scripture is profitable for teaching rebuke, correction and training and righteousness. However, I also wholeheartedly reject the lie that lack of formation into the image of Jesus is solely an issue of knowledge. Because I've had to guess, most of us who have been following Jesus for longer than a couple of years knows areas of our lives that are counter to the design of God, and yet knowing they're counter to the design of God has not actually changed us to therefore not live them out, Hmm. right? Most of us don't actually want to be anxious, and we know God commands us, do not be anxious. And we know Jesus invites us in your anxiety, cast your cares on him. And yet most of us are still anxious. Hmm. It's not an issue of just knowing. Yeah. And, you know, in the words of James K. Smith, I think we quoted him last time, you cannot think your way into Christ-likeness. Hmm. Losing strategy number three. <laughs> One, willpower. Two, more Bible study. Three is what I like to call the zap. The zap. zap. That was perfect. That's exactly <laughs> that what I wanted to do. Perfectly Good job. Uh, so if you remember that movie, The Matrix, this is going to date me a little bit. Uh, did you ever see The Matrix? Oh, yeah. You love movies. So that of course. Makes we saw Matrix 4 together. We did watch Matrix 4 together. Not worth your time. Nope. None of them are besides Matrix 1, in my opinion. That's fair. Uh, but Neo and Trinity, the two main characters, are on the roof, and they're running from Agent Smith? Agent Carter? Agent Smith. Smith. Carter Smith. is Marvel. That's Marvel. Agent Smith. And they come across a helicopter, B-212 helicopter, and Neo <laughs> asks Trinity... <laughs> Can I just say, I've heard you tell this story multiple times, and you always specify the helicopter. That's very funny to me. I just want to make sure that people know it's not a C-420. Thank you, I don't Tim. Any, know any other helicopters. This is the real formation I need. <laughs> but he looks at it and he's like, that helicopter, just hypothetically, is a B-212. Can you fly that? And Trinity says, not yet. And she calls Tank, who's their <laughs> operator back in the Matrix. And she's like, I need a program for a helicopter B-212. He like uploads it. Her eyes flicker. And then she's like, I can fly it now. <laughs> That's the zap. That's how yeah. many of us approach Christ-likeness and spiritual formation. We think hmm. one prayer, one time of confession, one worship song, one sermon, and boom. I'm just like Jesus now. And at best, I think this is a deep trust in the Holy Spirit. Like, Mm. yes, amen. He can change us instantly. At worst, it's very lazy. And it's relying on, man, if I just can keep doing what I'm doing, going through the motions, then I'm just kind of waiting for God to show up and fix me. And And I think instead of having this picture of what does God want to do over the long haul through practice, through his people, through the teaching of his word, 
I'm rejecting the shortcut quick fix and I'm laboring after the long road of discipleship, the long road of following Jesus, um, it going, you know, a long obedience in the same direction to use hmm. the words of Eugene Peterson. And so willpower is a good thing, but it's not enough. Bible study is a good thing, but it's not enough by itself. The zap, there are going to be times in our walk with Christ where there like sanctification speeds up and you do, you have one time of prayer, one hmm. worship set, one sermon, and you're like, I'm markedly markedly different now hmm. but all those three things by themselves do not have enough power to shape us against all of the strength of deformation happening in our lives yeah that's really good i just recently started uh re-listening to an audiobook the screw tape letters it's one of my favorite things to listen to i encourage people to just listen to it periodically over the years because i mean to me it's like it's like spiritual historical fiction almost it's just mm. like these made-up demons but they're talking about how they tempt people and it's very convicting and there is one particular letter from it's an older demon writing to a younger demon mm-hmm. and the older demon is talking about this man who wants prayer to be more in his life to, to mm. shape him more mm-hmm. and he talks about uh get this man to pray so often without thinking about it that it becomes so mundane that he is no longer praying thinking of God and he is just saying words while staring at the upper corner of his room hmm. kind of thing. Like yeah. It just becomes such a routine thing that it's just like I'm just saying my eyes are glazed over. It's just to get through it, you yeah. know, and I was convicted by that because I think that's a lot of what this last uh, year or 18 months or so have marked for me. Is It's just mm. like I learned a lot of good things to do that are genuinely good things to do, implement them in my life. And then just turn off my brain, mm. and then it's like, all right, well, I put in all the, I put in all the things. Mm. I, I have the the more Bible study, I guess, to kind of put it in one of those categories of just like, I know I have the verses. I memorized a couple of Psalms. That's great. The beauty of memorizing Psalms is so that you can ref, you can recite them and think about what you're saying, not just to prove, look what I memorized. And so it's like, okay, I'm reciting some Psalms, and I'm going back to, I'm having these prayers built into my day, but not an, an inkling of my mind is focused on it at all. It's just I can't move on with my day, I'm, I'm almost like it becomes a hurdle. Like, well, I can't get out of bed until I say this prayer or I can't do this until. And it's so interesting how the things of God can be so quickly twisted into just, I'm not even thinking about it in, in the worst way. You know, it's not, it's not a natural good thing. It's just a natural almost hindrance to me getting back to the part of my day that I actually am interested in. I'm actually engaged with, you know, but I think in terms of like the zap, I grew up in a Presbyterian context we called ourselves the frozen chosen when it came to music. We Got stood with our, that. you know, when it comes to hand. all of life, not just music. Yeah. All of sure life, frozen uh, chosen. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if someone had their, their palms up in worship, you know, everyone's looking at them like who let the charismatic in here, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, and that was my attitude towards worship music for a long time. And I remember the first time I in college coming to a, a church that had tr- uh, more contemporary worship. Uh, I was just the, you know, the man with his arms by his side, kind of appalled at how everyone was throwing themselves around. And then I remember being on a, a, a college spring break trip. We were singing Fix My Eyes, mm. and I started weeping. Mm. And it was truly light switch. And then after that, it's like worshiping uninhibited was not an issue for mm. me. And it was something that I, I found real delight and joy in. And it can be tempting then to think, well, that's the only way I do change, mm. is that those moments have to happen. Mm. I, I can praise God and, and I'm thankful for the spirit for changing my heart in that way that strongly in that mm. specific context. But then you almost start to kind of abuse the idea of like, well, if, you know, if the Lord doesn't build it, then we're laboring in vain. So mm. it's like, well, I shouldn't labor at all then because I have to wait for God to do it. Mm. Um, and that can be a really interesting, again, way that Satan will take uh, true things and then twist them just enough that they suddenly become 
deeply untrue and then kind of encourage that just coasting through life instead. Yeah. And I found that uh, it seems to be that people who have experience with some amount of sanctification from one of these three strategies tends to bank all of their Christian life on one of these three strategies. Mm -hmm. So you'll meet people who become Christians you know, maybe in their late teens, early twenties in Bible study, heavy churches, which I'm all for. Again, I'm for teaching the Bible, like preaching the Bible, but they, their way of discipleship they learn is Bible studies. Mm -hmm. Right. And so they think, okay, that's how I grew when I first became a Christian. That is the only way to grow. And then what happens when that knowledge begins to butt up against generations of trauma or gets to butt up against family history or gets to butt up against ingrained sin patterns and habits. And it's like, this isn't working anymore. And then Mm -hmm. there's this crisis of faith. And then they're like, I don't, I don't know how to follow Jesus. Am I even a Christian? Because this method I learned of how to become like him is no longer quote unquote working, whatever that means. Right. Or with the zap, right? Those, those who grew up in kind of heavy, more charismatic circles or things tend to have this, okay, I had these, you know, crazy on fire, whatever that means, moments mm-hmm. with God growing up. And so I just expect that. So every time I'm going into worship, I got to go in full gung ho. And if I'm not crying, it was not great that day, mm-hmm. right? And we tend to gravitate towards the ones where we saw spiritual growth in the past, but at some point, those are those are going to run its course. At some point, those can only take us so far if there are soul-based metric for how we're going to change. Even willpower, right? I, I became a Christian. I'm gung-ho for Jesus. Let's tackle everything. Mm-hmm. At some point, where I'm like, now I'm 32 and tired. <laughs> like, I Every night can't be cry night. Yeah, can't exactly. be cry night. You know, at some point, it's like I, I'd want to go into the gathering and I want to worship and sing gospel true songs and mm-hmm. I want to have a message that affects my life and teaches me how to follow Jesus and then I want to go home and go to my community and talk about how to apply it into my life and then try to love my wife and kids and mm-hmm. you know walk with Christ in daily communion like it's like at some point I'm just going through these things and those alone those losing powers aren't enough to sustain a full life with God and I think there's even seasons where one is more of your life than others there are seasons where it's like Every Sunday gathering's like a zap, and I'm just growing and growing and growing and growing. And there's other times where it's like, I feel nothing in worship for a year, and mm. that's okay. But if my frame of how I change to become like Jesus is the zap, then that's crushing, yeah. and it's no longer something that I can just go. No, this is a normal part of life with God mm. through the seasons. Yeah. Okay, so we've talked about some losing strategies. We've talked about unintentional spiritual formation. How about we talk about some intentional spiritual formation? What does that look like? Yeah, so I think to counter this unintentional spiritual formation, you can imagine like a triangle. Then, then I think you got to replace those parts of the triangle with with new things. And so instead of stories, right, just kind of embodying the stories around us, then we replace that with teaching. Hmm. So much of Jesus' teaching in the Gospels is, you have heard it said, but I tell you. And I think that is true of so much teaching today. You have heard it said through TikTok and Instagram and Netflix and your friends and whatever, you have heard it said this in 2024, but I tell you this. Mm. That's so much of what it means to study the scriptures and to, you know, Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We're Mm. just trying to rewire our brains to view the world differently. That's Mm. teaching. And then counter to our habits, we have intentional practices, right? We, we learn to adopt the practices of Jesus, the things we saw him doing and teaching while he was here on earth. Um, I love uh, this from Jesus, right? The Sermon on the Mount, we talked about this last time. Maybe, we'll just, maybe this podcast should just be more thoughts <laughs> on the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. Uh, but Jesus bookends the Sermon on the Mount, his whole teaching on life in the kingdom of God with Matthew five nineteen. Whoever relaxes these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever Mm. does what I'm saying and teaches what I'm saying will be called great. 
and Matthew 7, 24. If you hear these words of mine and do them, you're like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Hmm. So Jesus is saying, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you must adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. Hmm. And I love Richard Foster for this in his classic book on spiritual disciplines. He says, quote, most Christians think following Jesus happens through trying hard when really in reality it comes through training hard. Hmm. That's what it means to have the practices, to not just go out there with willpower. Let's just grit our teeth and do it. It's daily over time doing the things we saw Jesus teaching and doing himself and letting those practices shape us to be like Jesus. Um, so I think about like, give me, let me give you an example. Uh, let's say you want to obey Jesus's teaching in the Sermon on the Mount to not worry. You want to become a non-anxious person, a person of peace in the world. How do you do it? Do you listen to a good sermon on Matthew 6 and go out and try your hardest not to worry, right? We said this last time. How's that working for you? How's that going? We have to become the kinds of people who have learned to trust in God so deeply that we are free of fear. And to do that, we must train or retrain our minds and our bodies. So yes, we need good sermons on Matthew 6. And we practice the spiritual practice of Sabbath. Yeah. We set aside an entire day where we put down our work and trust God to provide. We spend time in prayer where we lay all of our fears, concerns, and anxieties at God's feet. We live into the practice of community. Community is a practice. It's not just mm. an identity. It's a practice where other people who love Jesus and love us encourage us to trust God. We step into the spiritual practice of generosity where we learn to free our hearts from empty loves and self-protection, all of that over a long period of time. Yeah. And then lastly, instead of just default relationships with those around us, we choose intentional community. Relationships typically are just kind of chosen by personal preference or what's around us or who's around us. Community, Christian community, is built around Christ. It's not just people who like each other. It's people who are trying to follow Jesus together. Hmm. And that's what we get, whether we want it or not, like it or not, when we become Christians. Right? Lindsay and I are having our third kid this summer. And when she is born, she's going to get us as parents. And whether she likes it or not, she's going to get Harper and Nora as siblings. Yeah. It's just a default. And they're great, so she's going to love it. But that's how it works in the Christian faith. When we mm -hmm. get God as our father, we by default get his people as our brothers and sisters. But that's a gift if mm -hmm. we're willing to see the way that community shapes us to be like Jesus. Yeah. And then all of that, right, teaching, practice, community happens not just in our default environment, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Sure. One of the things that we have lost a lot on in recent um by recent, I mean like the last couple hundred years of Christian faith, is a loss of living in the presence of God through communion with the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Brother Lawrence in the 1600s uh, wrote this wonderful little book called Practicing the Presence of God. Hmm. And he was a monk who was struggling with, why do, I, why do I know that God is present to me in prayer, but I don't know that he's also just as present to me when I'm doing the dishes? Hmm. That was his whole question. And so his whole question was, how do I practice the presence of God when I'm doing the dishes? And he wrote yeah. this whole wonderful, beautiful 1600s whole treatise on it. But I think that's what we mean when we say instead of the environment, Holy Spirit, we learn to find our deepest home in God. Hmm. That now as Christians, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And so we are more aware of him and his presence and living with him than we are the presence of the world we live in. Yeah. Uh, one way to say it is our primary environment is now the presence of God, not the presence of the place where we live. Hmm. So teaching, habits, community, all in the presence of God, counterforming us away from stories, habits, relationships in the environment where we find ourselves. Yeah. I think what's cool hearing you speak through those and just reflecting on this sort of alternate triangle of intentional over unintentional spiritual formation is how in that we almost see the redeemed version of the losing strategies. Like 
I think at first my brain wants to go, well, then what's the difference between this and willpower? What's the difference between this and more Bible? What's the difference between this and the zap? If the spirit is, and it's like, oh, well, in a way there's not a difference. It's just that these are all working together now in, in kind of in relation to one another. We're not, there's not too much reliance on one over the other. It's the redeemed version of willpower. It's not, not just trying, but training and not just relationships, but it's community. And, and so these uh, losing strategies, they are not just bad, avoid these things. They are, no, seek these things through prayer, through community, through intentional work, but they all have to work together in tandem with one another. And um, yeah, in the to kind of give the opposite example of what can be so difficult from a formation standpoint is being in a church context where everyone hears the words of Jesus and does nothing. Quite the opposite is being in a church context, and I'm so thankful, I, so many faces come to mind in our church family of people where... I am spurned on to be more like Jesus because I can recall how I've seen this brother or this sister seek to be more like Jesus in this area. You know, I can, I can think of so many conversations in a group of guys who are just like, I do not care about reading the Bible. I'm going to read the Bible. You know, I don't like praying. I will pray. I have to have music in the car when I drive. I will turn my radio off and talk to God instead. And like those kind of things, just like, there is something so extraordinarily powerful of uh, in the same way that we have an invisible God who has been revealed through Jesus. Jesus is now left, but then he is revealed in his people who are meant to be little Jesuses. Mm-hmm. And some of the most powerful kind of pushing me, spurning me back to God and devotion to him and desire to be formed in this intentional way is by seeing my my brothers and sisters in Christ around me seeking that same thing with that intention, with that desire to train, not just try. Um and, and really run after the things of God. And I think that leads us maybe in the kind of final point where we want to land is talking about the idea of like a rule of life, yeah. of how do we actually, we can talk a lot about what intentional versus unintentional is. It can start to feel really murky and it's almost like, okay, let's put something literally down on paper, literally down tangibly that we can look at as a way to move away from the unintentional into the intentional. So can you talk about a little bit of what is a rule of life and how do we go about that? Yeah, I think that's really good. I love what you're saying about um, how it feels like, well, are you just giving cooler, more Christian words for willpower and Bible study? <laughs> yeah. Like you just said teaching instead of Bible study. What's, what's the point? I think part of what's been so helpful for me too is to see them as like counter ways to formation. So, so let me, let me kind of give you an illustration. Uh, on Fridays, Lindsay and I will take the girls to uh, the gymnastics all-stars gym in Matthews. Mm, they do this nice. thing called little bit fit time. A little bit fit is for kids of five and under. You pay like two bucks, three bucks, something like that. And they get an hour and a half to just run around this giant gymnastics gym, like a foam pit and bouncy houses Amazing. and, you know, bars and all that kind of stuff. And wow. it just, it's, it's toddler chaos, Yeah, but they love it. And I've always shocked because there's this part of the gym over on the side. It's very small. It's kind of like tucked away behind some things. So the whole gym is like gymnastics, everything, hanging bars and rings and balance beams and all this stuff. And then there's one little bench press over mm. on the side. And I'm always struck by this, and I, this is this is going to make sense, hopefully, um, is I'm always thinking, oh, yeah, gymnastics, gymnasts would also have to bench press occasionally. <laughs> and in my mind, I'm like, okay, it makes sense. They practice on the rings. If you want to get good at rings, you practice the rings. If you want to yeah. get good at balance beam, you practice the balance beam. But you also need to grow stronger. Mm-hmm. And part of how you grow stronger is by lifting weights on a bench press. Yeah. And so it feels like, what does the bench press have to do? with the rings mm-hmm. on the surface, nothing. Mm-hmm. But when you see what training actually means, it has a lot to do with it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a part of a way to kind of shift our mindset from willpower to from training, from trying to training is 
there's a distinct difference between I just want to be less anxious and what are these things I can put into my life to actually grow me into being a less anxious person? And that's mm-hmm. how it's a little bit different. So it's not, I'm just straining to be peaceful, but it's, okay, I'm going to train how to pray. I'm going to yeah. train how to fast. I'm going to train how to be hospitable. And that a lot of that leads into your, your question, which was a rule of life. So one of the things that I think we've missed as modern day Christians is the fact that the Bible is a, and Jesus is a lot less worried about us doing things when we don't feel it than we are. Hmm. Let me say that again. Jesus is a lot less worried about us going through the motions than we are. And what I mean by that is not that he doesn't care, right? He says lots of times, like, your heart is far from me. You're bringing these empty sacrifices. He cares deeply about that. But we, out of so much fear of that being true, have almost swung to the other end of the pendulum where, well, if I don't feel it, I'm just not going to do it. And if you look at Christians throughout history, they took the opposite approach. So Christians throughout history, for us today in 2024, we go, if I don't feel it, I'm not going to do it. Mm. Christians throughout history said, if I don't feel it, I'm going to do it until I feel it. And Mm. those were totally different postures towards the Christian life. And so what they learned how to do, this comes from primarily the monastic tradition, is to build out what is often called a rule of life. Rule of life just comes from the Latin regula vidae, and it it has this imagery, if you can imagine it, like a trellis and a vine, right? Mm. Jesus has this line in John 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. Remain in me and you will bear much fruit. Well, if you know anything about trellises, trellises are structures built so vines can grow. Yeah. And so if we want to dwell in the vine of Christ, have a life of abiding with Christ, then what we need is a trellis that can sustain that. And that's what a rule of life is. A rule of life, very, very simply, is simply a way of living in the world that can sustain life with God when desire cannot. Hmm. This is uh, Pete Scazzaro. He says it like this, nurturing a growing spirituality with depth in our present day culture will require a thoughtful, conscious, intentional plan for our spiritual lives. So rule of life is looking at this historical tradition, all of these different Christians throughout history that said, life with God is too important to base on my feelings during the day. I need a way of living, a system of rhythms and routines that can sustain my life with God when I do not feel like it at all. Hmm. That's what a rule of life is. It's a set of practices that we take from good ideas to actually into our calendars. So it goes from, okay, I want to pray. I want to be a person of prayer. Awesome. Great desire. How are you going to do that? I'm going to pray because I want to. (laughs) Great. What does that mean? A rule of life is going, I'm going to wake up at 7 a.m. and spend my first 20 minutes in prayer. Hmm. Because I know tomorrow morning when my alarm goes off at 7 a.m., the last thing I'm probably going to want to do is get out of bed and pray. Hmm. I'm going to want to snooze. I'm going to want to you know, get ready for work, rush into the day. I want to be a person who reads the scriptures. Awesome. What does that mean? I wanna, I'm going to do it. Okay, no, what does that actually mean? It means I'm going to get up and I'm going to read the Bible for five minutes every single weekday. Hmm. That's putting it into a, a rule, a guide, a trellis for life with God. So we take these different spiritual practices. Citizens, we talk about kind of five core ones, scripture, prayer, hospitality, fasting, and Sabbath. Hmm. Those five. We take those five, we put them from good ideas into our calendar, walking in the context of community to take Jesus's teachings, put them into practice in our lives for the days we do not feel like it and do not want to do it. Yeah. I have really loved the implementation of rule of life in my own life. I first, I guess, encountered this idea and that sort of language around what is rule of life a few years ago. And something that was helpful for me was it can feel very daunting and like you are asking a huge thing of me to build all of these alien disciplines into my life and calendar it out. But the reality is 
is if you had someone follow behind you over the course of your day taking notes, they could build that alternate rule of life for you of what your what your rule yeah, of life already absolutely. is. Like we all just because you're not calling it rule of life, whatever like we have that but for other practices i get up you know? i go to the gym i drink right. this coffee i eat that food that's, i'm on that's my phone rule. for this period of time mm-hmm. i watch this show on this day i like we have that routine we we have the daily weekly monthly annual rhythms built into our life if we are a little introspective to see what those are yeah. the challenge then is just okay how do i flip and maybe not even flip but just work in as an alternate uh or as something alongside those uh, disciplines that push me towards Jesus instead of just that coasting, instead of just that kind of existing around Christianish people and sometimes in taking a sermon and sometimes, you know, doing this or that. But it's like, no, I'm I'm deliberately doing this. And I think there was a a pastor at a at a church that I used to be a part of that said discipline becomes desire, which becomes delight. Mm. And so it's like that that trajectory of discipline, desire, delight of this is just hard for a while. Mm-hmm. And then it starts to become, oh, you know, I actually want to do this. Mm-hmm. I, this is actually something that I'm interested in doing. And then it is, I, my day can't be done until I've done this. Mm-hmm. I like, this is one of my favorite parts of the day now. Mm-hmm. I, I look forward to this now. It's not just something um, that, I, that I have to do. It's something that I get to do. And it's mm-hmm. something that I enjoy doing. And I can see the marked change of it. And the beauty of a rule of life, as you talked about earlier, this season where you're like, I'm just going through the motions. Mm-hmm. Part of what's so beautiful about a rule is it keeps you going through the motions until your heart catches back up. Yeah. Until you're excited again about these things. So yeah. it's like the reason why the rule is there is is to foster when we're excited about God, but then also to those moments where this just feels like discipline yeah. is so that we keep doing the disciplines such that it would turn into delight. Um, somebody asked me recently, you know, we've got a lot of young kids being born, a lot of babies mm-hmm. in our church. And mm-hmm. I remember talking to uh, a soon to be new parent and they were you know, asking me, like, do I make a rule now or should I wait until I have a child? Which is a great question. Like, how do, yeah. I, how do I think about this? And they're like, well, maybe I'll, you know, we'll get through the newborn stage and then I'll write the rule. Mm. And I just encouraged them. I said, I think the rule is not for post newborn stage. I could think of nothing more important yeah. than building a rule of life for the newborn stage, because that's when you're going to need it the most. The rule is not there for the times where I'm just passionate about all things Jesus. Right. Right. When I have those days where I'm like, I want to read the Bible for hours on end and pray and, mm. and you know, Sabbath is coming easy and hospitality is coming easy. My rule of life is not for that. Yeah. Those are easy. I'm doing more than my rule of life, most likely. The rule of life is for those days, those weeks, those months that are, there's, I don't want to do anything else but yeah. with God right now. But the rule grounds me back in that trellis for yeah. life with God. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, I think I'll just reiterate. It's like, there's nothing, there is something new being made, but like the rule, the rule's already there. You're already in a mm. rule. Yep. It's just, let's redeem the rule. Let's turn it into something that is more um, life-giving and, and shapes us to be more like Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have resources for all this mm-hmm. online, rhythmsandformation.com, rhythmsandformation.com, that has like how to walk out and build a rule of life. Um, there's lots of good resources online. You can just Google search rule of life builder. I know that Practicing the Way, a nonprofit out in California, has put together an online tool for this. There's a lot of good resources out there that can help you kind of walk through this. And if you're still struggling, next fall, we'll run back module one, spiritual practices, Christian practice for the Institute. You can sign up for that. Yep. We're walking through how to build out a rule of life. And uh, it's very, very, I think, such a an difficult thing to do and simple thing to do at the same time that absolutely. is worth, well worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Just start somewhere. Just start somewhere. All right. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks, Tim, for joining me. Uh, we'll hope to see you all Sunday. And until then, grace and peace. Grace and peace. Mama, I'll hold on, I'll hold on.